Welcome to the Scrum.org Community Podcast, a podcast from the home of Scrum. In this podcast, we feature professional Scrum trainers and other Scrum practitioners sharing their stories and experiences to help learn from the experience of others. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Scrum.org Community Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dave West, CEO here at Scrum.org in a sunny Boston, Massachusetts. Today's podcast is actually going to be focused on a topic that I'm not actually very good at, and I, I, I'm very grateful that we have this opportunity to talk about it, facilitation. As you can tell from my podcast, if you've listened to any of this series, I do like to talk maybe too much. So facilitation, it's a key stance of um, uh, an agile practitioner. Um, so we know that, we know a lot about that. So today, I'm very fortunate that I've got an expert in that field on that subject, Douglas Ferguson, founder of Voltage Control. Welcome to the podcast, Douglas. Dave, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about facilitation, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. I know. And actually, for our listeners, I met Douglas. We were... um, somehow got introduced and we had a a long much longer than we'd planned conversation about facilitation and its role in in agile and its role in scrum so that's the reason why i asked douglas if if he had something to do one afternoon and and here he is talking to us today so as we begin this podcast i think it's important for audience to have a little idea of who you are and how you got to be really into facilitation so who are you and where did you come from, Douglas? Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting story. I don't share in common with a lot of my facilitation peers. And uh, I think the Scrum community might find it interesting because I was a CTO prior to founding Voltage Control. Uh, started off writing code in high school even and out of college wrote code for startups and started leading engineering teams and eventually product teams and designers as a CTO. And through that process, became really curious about what made for highly collaborative teams and was always consuming new types of tools such as, you know, uh, extreme programming and agile and scrum and all these different things and even design methodologies like design thinking and design sprints and always just trying these things out and seeing what works. And that's what led me into realizing that there might be a, a place for me in, in the world of facilitation and how I can bring this to people who haven't experienced it before. Because a lot of times people that call themselves facilitators, you know, they're, they're a certain type of person who wants to go out and, and lead these things all the time. But in the workplace, there's lots of folks that really need to show up as facilitators. And in fact, that's evident by the fact that we all talk about how horrible our meetings are. <laughs> And, you know, in my book, Magical Meetings, I say there's no such thing as a bad meeting, just bad facilitators. No, oh, so it's a bit like pets, right? There's no such thing as a bad pet. It's only bad owners. That's, a, that's something we should all, all take to heart. So Voltage Control is an interesting name for an organization. You know, the, the one electrical engineering class I did at university which was awful, by the way, just for reference, and I was awful at it. Maybe that's another pet analogy. Maybe actually there's no no such thing as bad classes. It's just bad students, right? Anyway, the, um, the it, it's uh, my understanding is voltage control is used to manipulate analog circuits. So that's an interesting choice from the name of the organization, Douglas. 
Yeah, you know, I am a musician. Was playing music when I when I was in high school and writing code too, <laughs> and um, I have a large synthesizer, and it's a modular synthesizer, and the synthesizer is comprised of voltage-controlled modules. So the the patch cables carry controlled voltage, and that's how they operate and to carry signal. And I've often used it as a metaphor when I think about teams and organizations, because once you start rearranging things and moving things in the synthesizer, like unplugging cables or plugging them in the different spots, it can change the sound drastically, often to detrimental impacts, right? And so if you don't under, if you just walk up to that thing and go, well, this seems like it would be more efficient over here, or this might make more sense over here, um, without understanding the nuance of why it was put together in the way it was, or even the nuance of how these modules work, i.e. the people, how do the people work, and how are the people connected? And if we aren't paying attention to those things, then we can cause detrimental harm to the harmony or the sound of the, of the piece we're creating or the environment we're in. And as I was thinking about how I wanted to name the company something that was personal and meaningful for me, I reflected on that metaphor. And the thing that really drove it home for me was as I thought about how the definition of voltage is potential energy. And I thought about we're manipulating the potential or we're helping people harness their potential in their organizations. That really spoke to me. Wow. But the word control is an interesting one because my, and particularly with your heavy emphasis on facilitation and, and the work you've done there, which is, and the book you wrote, which was, which is an awesome book. I, I recommend it. The um, control, you know, as a facilitator, I, th from my understanding, aren't I meant to be unbiased? Aren't I not meant to control anything, but just, you know, I'm like this, I don't know, wind read, I don't know, some sort of, I know, hippie kind of analogy. I, I don't know. But control sounds a little bit scary. Yeah, it's like the water, right? That's just kind of flowing around things or or some, or the Gumby on the side of the street that's just waving around. Um, I don't think you can get things done. You know, if you, you can't be a servant leader without having some leadership, mm -hmm. right? Without kind of driving stuff in a direction. And as a facilitator or using facilitation skills, we have to understand what outcome we're trying to drive toward and we can steer the group there. The point is we shouldn't be mandating or telling people do this, go in this direction, make these specific moves. It starts to get into micromanagement, right? And so a great way to uh, to combat micromanagement, if that's something you tend to, or if you want to move further in the direction away from micromanagement, facilitation is a great way to do that, but still move toward a, a common goal, still help the, the group understand together where we might need to go, or a nuanced um, uh, variety of that direction, how we might steer it in, in a subtle new way. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's really interesting. Understand the difference between control and direction and sort of like micromanagement versus that sort of direction stuff. I think it's a, it's a really interesting nuance because I'm, I've been facilitated to heck at times where I felt the exact opposite. <laughs> I felt that I'm literally being forced to do this almost uncomfortable series of yoga stances and my body is going, I don't want to do this. This is not fun. But, you know, but, but the facilitator was so into it that I just felt that I, I couldn't say no. Yeah, it's so important as a facilitator to re read the room and, and notice what's happening. And 
you know, there's a, a really important um, quality in a facilitator, which is often uh, doesn't come natural at first because when folks start facilitating, um, they typically will hold on to their methods really tightly or they'll, um, they'll have a plan and they want to work the plan, you know, because it's perfect and they figured it all out. And, and it's really, they, they get kind of frightened in the moment because they see this big group they're responsible for, these outcomes are responsible and they, they push and push this plan through. And to your, to your example, you're in these yoga poses that feel <laughs> uncomfortable. And can you imagine looking across the room and seeing these people, wow, they don't look like they're enjoying themselves, right? And I think that's, rather than getting frightened and doubling down on the plan and just going, whoo, I got to sweat through this. And, you know, it's not comfortable for the facilitator, I can tell you. Like, they don't, it's not an enjoyable place to be. But, it, but it's frightening to, to steer outside of that because they typically get in the zone of, you know, um, I got to get through this and make the plan work. And it's so much more powerful to let go, you know, to be nimble, to be agile, right? Like, and in fact, we tell people to practice making three versions of your agenda. You know, make one, throw it away, make another one, throw it away, make another one. And then, you know, no matter what you run into, you at least got three ways to do it. And you've built up a muscle and an ability to, to rethink different varieties of how to approach it. That's it's really, really interesting. So, the, and I, I really like the point around having that flexibility to use facilitation techniques as you, as the audience allows you to, and in the situation uh, merits itself. So, as an agile practitioner, I guess the first question is, why, why do I care? Mm -hmm. I mean, facilitation. You know, not we're not trying to mediate peace. We're not, you know, we're not running an. Uh, most agile practitioners aren't working at the UN, though. Interestingly. Uh, a lot of scrum was practiced in the UN in the 90s by Ken Schwaber. But um, so we're not in these high stress situations. It's just the scrum team and a few stakeholders and we're trying to get to something. So why do I need any of this crazy facilitation talk, Douglas? Well, you say it's not high stress, but often the workplace can be quite stressful when emotions flare up and, you know, we get, can we get passionate and dedicated to our work and, and believe that, you know, uh, I mean, we should do it this way. And someone believes that we should do it some other way. And so decisions can be hard often. And so, you know, moving into situations where um, we can come together and make decisions more effectively, more calmly, and de delineate between when we're actually disagreeing and when we aren't. And there's situations where the group's in violent agreement, but like no one's stepping up to point it out, right? And so like actually designating a role. And this is where the unbiased piece comes in. It can be really powerful to have a facilitator outside of the um, outside of the main group that's doing the work, especially if, if you've um, uh, if you've got um, two groups that are coming together to collaborate on something. Like if you have someone facilitating from one of those groups, then they, they, there's kind of a sense of power that they have over this collaboration. And so finding a third party um, it can be a, a really great way to kind of level the playing field. And it's not really about bringing in an outsider necessarily. It could just be someone from a third team. And I, I see a lot of companies do that where people will borrow someone for a few hours just to help like with a session, show up and do a thing. 
And that can be a great way as well to cross pollinate ideas throughout the organization, because even though it's not your project that you're, you have stuff you're, that you're responsible for, but it might impact something that you have coming down the road or just understanding what's happening. Oh, and this other group that's working on a different module, it's helpful to have context on those things sometimes. And so, you know, it comes down to decision-making, it comes down to understanding options you know, all the, a lot of the principles that when you really look at the Agile Manifesto, a lot of the things around, you know, um, the, the tenets that they believe in around, uh, whether it's people and teams, for instance, yes, rather than yes. process. <laughs> exactly. And so if we're going to prioritize these things, facilitation can help us get there, right? And we can use facilitation to lean into those values that we have because we can invite people to the conversation better. We can also start to understand these, these things that might be um, causing issues down the road, for instance, because if we don't have those conversations earlier, then they can rear their heads later. Oftentimes I see people just kind of going through the motions and sweeping stuff under the rug until it really, until it really bites us down the road. And, you know, I think when people are practicing agile and they're, they're testing things out and, and seeing stuff there, we're shipping code, you know, and, and seeing stuff in real life, then there's this interest in learning. And so why don't we apply that, that same interest into our relationships at work? And, and, the, and the projects that are unfolding versus just the software itself. I think the, the, the I think those points are, are spot on. I think obviously Scrum, we care very much about that, that cycle of learning. That's what the sprints are and the feedback of sprint review and, and retrospective. But so let me just make sure that I'm getting this right though, Douglas. So you're saying that everybody should have some level of facilitation skill and a desire to use it. It isn't just the the anointed Scrum Master, Agile Coach, external consultant that comes in. Is is that is that true? Is that the message that you're sending here? Well, I haven't specifically brought that up yet, but it's an important point. You know, I the the thing is that there are certainly people that will facilitate more often. I would say anyone who calls a meeting to order should be thinking a, a more deeply about um, just basic facilitation skills. And it's really unfortunate that it's not taught in leadership programs or, or even in undergrad. And um, it, it's kind of a mystery to me because, um, well, frankly, there's a lot of stuff that's not taught, right? Like oftentimes <laughs> you get into yes. the workplace, right? And it's like, no one's ever told you how to use a calendar. And so you got to learn all this etiquette of how to show up and be an actual worker, right? And, you know, some, some of that stuff is probably learned nowadays just through osmosis and internships and things. But, but no, one's, no one really um, takes the time to say how to be a great meeting participant, how to actually run a great meeting, because learning facilitation skills can help you have more appreciation for those that are running the meeting. So you become a better meeting participant. You can actually assist without usurping control. You can assist them in really meaningful ways if you kind of understand the dynamics and what they're going through. So everybody needs to bring some of these skills to bear, either in terms of understanding them so you help whoever is facilitating that meeting. And also, 
are you saying, Douglas, that everybody that the that all meetings need to be actively facilitated, or is there some sort of bar? You know, when there's three people, or when it's a Wednesday afternoon, you should always facilitate. Or is there are there some bars, or is or should every meeting be facilitated? I think every meeting is facilitated at some level. The question is, how much intention do we take to it? How important is it? What's the quality and the purpose of the meeting that might warrant the, the experience that we need to design into that meeting, right? And so we may not be bringing like really heavyweight tools into um, our short two-person meeting, but the more you facilitate and the more you start to adapt tools and techniques, the more that they will just find their way into everything you're doing because you just become better at hosting people and bringing them together to do things. And so, for instance, um, one really powerful technique is to have people um, split people into smaller groups. And that's not even, not something you had to be super planful about, but if you're hosting a meeting of like, you know, six people, you might realize like, I'm just going to put them in pairs really quick. That might actually help things move faster in this moment. I didn't know I was going to need to do that yesterday, but in this moment, I'm realizing it. That's the kind of stuff that starts to happen. The more you practice it, the more, the more you lean into the learning the skills. And, um, but to your point, there's, there's certain meetings and um, gatherings that we do need to be really planful about. And the, and the more we are planful about any, any of those opportunities, then we start to learn those moves and they just kind of show up all the time. So specifically things we might want to be more planful about, you know, things that are higher stakes, things that have re repetitive patterns to them where we can start to put in, you know, there's a reason why these ritualistic meetings in the scrum world have patterns to them or, 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 or kind of like um, ways of doing them because we do them a lot and let's make them efficient and let's like, let's have a way of doing them. Right. And so when you think about like retrospective, for example, that's like a way to facilitate a retrospective, but that's also a great way to mix things up because people can get bored with this kind of repetition. So think about, you know, if I'm, if I was going to be planful about something, retrospective could be a really fun way to say, okay, how, how might I, um, show up with a, a, a mural or a mural board and really just like make this feel way different than we have done in the past? Or what kind of metaphor might I bring to get people thinking a little bit differently? Um, do I bring in start, stop, continue or or some other kind of framework? To, or um, what, so what, now what? There's so many different ways to do a retrospective. And so mixing it up is a great way to, to try try different tools and techniques without it feeling, I don't know, like forced. So Obviously, every meeting, particularly the, maybe every meeting, but certainly the important ones, is usually an outcome and a context to that, whether it's gaining consensus, you know, resolving conflict, brainstorming mm -hmm. ideas, creating, you know, doing some sort of um, creative work or consolidation work, these kind of things, or review and feedback or whatever. Uh, so does does bearing the, the the intent in mind does that influence you to pick a particular set of techniques absolutely so there's we have an approach that we call workshop design and um we there's a you know free workshop design template on the website and we do a workshop design workshop every, every now and then <laughs> we don't currently have one available but um but you know the template's fairly straightforward to use and um 
the the concept is applying learning experience design to the workshop or meeting process and yeah. and i think even if you don't sit down and use the template some of these some of these patterns of this approach is really powerful so i think it's worth breaking down so essentially um, there's a in learning experience design there's a concept called backwards design and with the workshop design template we we start with that end objective in mind so how are the learners leaving the experience and you know some of you may have raised your eyebrow like learner what do you mean learner we have this belief that all meetings are learning experiences and if we set people up to be in learning mindsets and apply learning design principles, we're going to design better experiences because then they're going to be more open to hearing what the coworker has to say and being more receptive to the ideas of other people because we put people in a learning mindset. And so thinking of reframing meeting participants as learners is kind of a powerful way to invite those kinds of design tools in. So thinking about the way the learner is leaving, how do we want them to leave transformed or different in some way? And then thinking about how they're entering and then looking at that gap. And that gap can help us understand, okay, well, if we know they're entering in a certain way and we want them to leave in a different way, then how might we design that differently? And of course, we might have different ways people are entering. Like an executive might be entering that space differently than a frontline um, contributor. And so we can, if they're flying at different altitudes, one's thinking strategically and another's thinking tactically, we might want to be mindful of that as we kind of design the session. And then we're looking at, um, so that kind of gets to your point around the purpose, right? Because that outcome that we're kind of, how we're wanting them to leave is directly impacted by how we, what we are trying to accomplish. And, and that'll, that'll really influence how you think about opening the session, all the work you might do in the middle, or, and then how you close. And often I'll see, you know, real rookie mistake of facilitators or anyone starting to hear about some of the stuff, just glom on the icebreakers or activities and not thinking about that purpose. And that's why people get a distaste for icebreakers or people telling them to do strange yoga moves or whatever. Like, what's your favorite ice cream? It's like, why are we talking about ice cream? Aren't we here to like figure out like this weird bug that's going on? You know, it's like if you if you really want to um, uh, create uh, some connection before you get into the content. It's going to be way more powerful if the connection that you're inviting is somehow um, aligned with the content you're going to go into or the work you're going to do together. And so being mindful of that and planful about that will really um, get people way more engaged and way more attuned to what you're asking them to do. Wow. Mind blown. I, you said two things. You probably said more than that, but my mind was so blown on the first two. Uh, one, thinking about every meeting is a learning situation. It reminds me of my grandmother used to say to me, you've got two ears and one mouth. Use them in that order. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks, Gran. I never did, but she was a very wise lady, Lillian Carter. And the second thing I never thought to do it to do was think about how people turn up. Obviously, you do that when you're in a very tricky sales situation or a very tricky you know, maybe you're going for a divorce or something, you know, and you've got, you think a lot about, oh my God, is Bob going to come with this? But in most meetings, even some pretty high risk ones, I've never thought about that. And where do we want everybody to get to at the end? And then looking at that distance and the fact that people come with different things might mean that we structure the meeting into two segments. It might mean, wow, 
That's really good stuff, Douglas. I really, really, I think I've learned something. I mean, whether I apply it is a whole different thing, but I really have, have learned something. That, that's awesome. You know, the decision-making is a great example of this, Dave. It's um, how many times have you seen groups become disgruntled about like a leader making a decision? And oftentimes it's because the expectation wasn't set at the beginning. We didn't consider that they were coming in thinking that we were going to make this decision together. And all the leader needed to do was say, I'm going to collect your input, but ultimately I'm going to make this decision. They would have been totally happy with that. But since their expectation was different, they went through the, all these motions in this meeting or session and then were you know, bummed to find out that, wait, you, or they had this feeling like, well, why did you ask me if you weren't going to take my advice, <laughs> you know? And so it's so powerful to front load that expectation setting or even, you know, a, a classic opener we're big fans of is asking, why are we here? Like, what are we trying to do? Because it's really important as a facilitator to clarify the purpose, but it's really powerful to also test it. Because if we've shared it, told them, make sure to name the meeting based on the purpose. So it's really, we've done everything we can to clarify it, but then let's double check. Let's trust but verify that the purpose is aligned. Because if it isn't, we can correct that out of the gate. And maybe our participants can correct it for us. Like, let's say that everyone's aligned but one person. Next thing you know, the, the whole group is helping um, address that error. And you don't even have to do anything. And we call that the lazy facilitator. You know, if we can set up conditions where the group does the work and we can just kind of lean back, then then you really hit that Zen moment. Wow. I'm feeling that I've got to write some post-it notes and stick them around my screen. So the next meeting, I'm much more, uh, I well, I show up with a lot more intention, which is what you're advocating. And I, I think that's fantastic. I, I could talk to you all day, Douglas, and, I, and I'm sure I would learn lots from you about facilitation, um, but I'm afraid we are coming to the end of our our time together. This has been really, really interesting. As I said, uh, mind blown. I love that learner stance, and I love the thinking about how people attend, uh, and then obviously using the right patterns or having a series of patterns that we can use to 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 bridge that gap between what we're trying to get people from to where we're trying to get them to super super interesting so thank you for blowing my mind today before we go i know our listeners would love to hear where they can find out more from you absolutely um i'm very active on linkedin so feel free to follow me there or come check out any of the content um also on voltagecontrol.com, you can check out our facilitation academy where we offer certification and courses and would love to check you out. There's a lot of free content, so feel free to, to jump in and, and um, start learning with us. That's awesome. So thank you, Douglas. Thank you for your time today. So today, uh, for our listeners, so I was with Douglas Ferguson, founder of Voltage Control, and we were talking about that uh, interesting and often thorny topic of facilitation. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Douglas, and thank you, listeners. Um, this is Dave West here at the Scrum.org Community Podcast. Um, hopefully, you have enjoyed today, and if you have, maybe you want to listen to more. There's lots on the site. Please go. Some interesting topics ranging from professional scrum trainers talking about their journeys to, obviously, today we, we talked about facilitation. Agile marketing was another recent topic. There's lots on there, so feel free to consume that content. 
and thank you for attending. Bye, everybody. <laughs>